1: Hello, everyone. I'm Dorothy Koshu, host of the Benefits Executive Roundtable. I'm happy to be presenting a three-part series on one of the most important topics in employee benefits, health care and health plan financing and cost containment, to close out our Season 3. In Part 2 of this series, I have with me today Brad Gossin, president of EBA & M Corporation, and Dan Baker, vice president of sales of EBA & M Corporation, which is a third-party administrator which specializes in self-funded health plans. Welcome, gentlemen, and thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thanks, Dorothy. We really appreciate being with you. And we're really looking forward to uh, talking about self-funding today.
1: It's good to catch up with you again, Dorothy. I'm so happy that you're here. Let's get right into it because we have a lot of stuff to cover. As we now move into a post-COVID world, our needs are changing again, which is a good thing. We're going from the basic needs of how to feed my families and how to pay bills after layoffs or reductions in hours, and then how to get vaccines or COVID medications and treatment to where we are now, which thankfully, it's more of getting back to business we've managed how to learn to work remotely and manage remote employees and now we can once again focus on long-term strategies for employers something that was basically put aside during the pandemic many employers are trying to find a way to get back to doing what they do and doing more of it you know but they're having a hard time finding quality employees and they've learned that one of the best things that they can do one of the best things that they can offer their employees uh, to be better than their competitors and of course to bring on better candidates is to provide better benefits but the problem with that is providing good benefits has a price tag and many employers simply aren't sure if they can afford that price. So in 2021, interestingly enough, SHERM released two articles on self-funding, which I thought was really interesting because they don't usually focus a lot on self-funding at SHERM. One was on level funding in April of 2021, and one was on considering self-funding options when renegotiating health benefits. I think those actions of SHERM kind of put a focus on what is happening right now. Employers need better benefits to attract employees, but they have to find a way to pay for those. So there's a sort of resurgence on something that you and i have known all along as strong supporters of self-funding that is if you want to control your health care spend you have to look at some sort of alternate funding if you're large enough to do so with the fully insured plans and the fully insured market you know you can only do so much to control your health plan costs and usually that means cutting benefits you know, not offering better benefits, which is what employers would like to be able to do, particularly when they're trying to bring on new employees and new talent. And with self-funding, you can have better benefits for less money if it's done right. Would you both agree with that?
2: Yes, Dorothy, I definitely agree with that. Um, uh, and I think the important part here, the, the important thing to mention is, uh, like you say above, if it's done right. Um, and I know we're going to get into uh, into that a bit uh, further into the, into the discussion, um, but, but doing it right uh, means looking at cost containment strategies and, 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 and some other things that, uh, that, that again, we're gonna be discussing.
1: So let's get into this. Why is self-funding a good idea today to consider if you're not already self-funded?
2: There's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons. I'm gonna just hit a couple and then I know Dan will probably follow up. One of the biggest reasons uh, to consider self-funding uh, is getting control of your health plan. In a self-funded environment, uh, the employer, the plan sponsor uh, controls the plan, controls the benefits that are delivered um, to their uh, p- plan participants and, and really moves that control away from uh, from the, the, the fully insured carrier. Um, also have control in the cost. And, and again, I know we're gonna talk about cost containment strategies, um, but in a, as you know, in a fully insured environment, you really have no control. Uh, your, your plan participants go to the doctor um, and you 're just kind of uh, uh left uh it's left up to the, the fully insured carrier to manage all that, and then uh, once a year you get uh you get your renewal increase um and you uh, you hope it's good and and a lot of times it's it's not
1: well well said brad i agree
3: dorothy i would I would also add to that you know at the core of self funding is a cost containment strategy that's designed to save both employer, employees, and their families uh, savings over their their healthcare spend. Um, And that hasn't changed in 40-plus years of self-funding. Over the last decade, family premiums for employer-sponsored coverage has jumped more than 47%. Annual premiums for family coverage in in 2021 on a national scale was more than $22,000, with workers contributing more than $6,000 towards those costs. That's 4% more than in 2020. And that rate outpaces both wage growth, 31%, and inflation at 23% over the same period of time. We see it as one of the biggest reasons for continued growth in self-funding. Since 1999, the percentages employees covered by self-funded plans has increased from 44% in actually 1999, to over 67% in 2020 before decreasing slightly to 64% in 2021. So the the cost savings benefit to the employer is clear, but but let's remember by converting from a fully insured plan to a self-funded plan, employers are immediately reducing their healthcare and their benefit costs by simple actions of self-funding like reduced insurance overhead costs. Carriers assess a risk charge For insured policies of approximately 2% annually, that's removed in self-insurance. Reduce state premium taxes. Self-insured programs, unlike insured policies, are not subject to state premium taxes. That's another 2% to 3% of premium dollar value. Avoidance of state-mandated benefits. Self-insured plans are exempt from state insurance laws, subject only to ERISA. Being able to choose benefits in an a la carte fashion and simply paying for what you and your employees are going to use. That's a big cost driver and cost savings for self-funding. Obviously, flexibility in plan designs, which we're going to get into. And being able to customize stop-loss contracts. I think that's pretty important, too, in, in uh, being able to control and reduce healthcare costs. Those are pretty important reasons for an employer to consider self-funding.
1: Well, thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. You pretty much just wrapped up our entire podcast, so I guess we can end here. But, uh, but truly, <laughs> thank you. That was great information, and I'm sure. we Are we're you able having to- a
3: salesperson answer a question? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what you get.
1: That's that's what you get. And you know what? I agree with you because obviously, I've been working in the self-insured marketplace for quite some time myself, and uh, I 100% agree with everything that you said. So uh, that's very well said, and thank you very much, um, Dorothy. I, let me just circle back to
3: the the immediate savings. From shifting to a self-funding plan, which is reduced insurance overhead costs, reduced state premium taxes, avoidance of state mandated benefits, the ability to pick and choose the components that make up your plan design, the flexibility in that plan design, customizable stop loss, which you may want to get into a little bit more because that's one of the biggest dollar drivers in a self-funded plan. And then ultimately, additional cash flow if the reserves are put into an interest-bearing account. Where else is an employer going to be able to say that they're earning money off of their health plan by putting reserves into an interest-bearing account?
1: Thank you for that. Well, let's talk about the flexibility in plan design when self-funded. You, you guys touched on it a little bit. How much flexibility does an employer have in designing a health plan?
2: A lot of flexibility, Dorothy, as you know, and it's one of the, uh, one of the real benefits of self-funding. Employers are, are able to take control of their plan. Um, design it to meet the needs of their employee population, things like deductibles, co-insurance can be customized. There's benefits that that can be added that you may not see in a fully insured environment. So there's just a a lot of flexibility. Obviously, they do need to stay within the parameters of legislation and ACA, but overall, there's just a tremendous amount of flexibility. And again, one of the real strengths of self-funding and one of the reasons for its popularity.
3: Dorothy, I would just add to that operating within the parameters that the law allows. There's a great deal of room in there for employers and employees to really roll their sleeves up and get creative with the plan designs that they create and the cost that is incurred from those plan designs. One of the greatest flexibilities uh, for controlling costs is encouraging healthy behaviors and discouraging inappropriate healthcare utilization. That sounds like a mouthful, but what that means is is that the employer has the ability at the time of creating your self-funded plan design to sit down and identify those services that they know are going to benefit the, the benefit plan themselves, the cost of the benefit plan, and ultimately the cost that's being transferred to the employee and their family. We see that range that Brad discussed as uh, giving us a great deal of room to create um, some cutting edge benefit plans that that uh, are only available in a self-funded arena.
2: Dorothy, let me add some specific benefits to what Dan just said. Some of our uh, clients very interested in, in chiropractic care. There could be some limits there uh, with a fully insured plan, acupuncture. Fertility benefits uh, are another area where some of our uh, clients are exploring or adding uh, that type of benefit to their plan. Um, usually th- those types of things, acupuncture, uh, fertility, treatment, et cetera, are either excluded or fairly limited in fully insured plans. So so definitely th- those are a couple examples of self-funded employers being able to enhance their plan uh, to better meet the needs of their Employee population,
1: and I think that's a great, a great point, uh, Brad. Uh, as you know, I've designed a lot of self-funded plans in my time. Um, I sat in the position of a third-party administration operation for 12 years, in fact, uh, and I've designed a lot of, uh, a lot of plans, literally at the beginning from scratch because I didn't have. Uh, a basic, you know, plan document to start with. I literally, my first three plan designs that I designed for our clients when I was in the third-party administration business, keep in mind, I was 23 years old when this all started, Uh, you know, I literally started from scratch and I learned a lot. The first three plans I designed took a long time, but I'll tell you what, once I did those first three, and luckily for, you know, for me at the time, I was a pretty good writer, and uh, and I didn't even know that I could hire companies because I was brand new in the TPA business myself, and I didn't know that I could hire people to do that job. But what I learned from that is that after I did it two or three times, I had a nice little plan document model I could start from. And instead of starting from a blank piece of paper, I could start from, you know, kind of a, a, here's a a scenario that we can start with and we can just modify from there. So it was a little bit easier as time went on. And of course, year after year after year, they got better and better and better. And uh, then we were able to work with administrators when I left the TPA business and went out on my own to become a broker and consultant, I still do a lot of that. And then I, we also obviously can rely on the services of, you know, people like yourselves and third-party administrators that, that can help design those plans. And if the brokers and so forth and the clients aren't that, um, you know, savvy and that sort of thing, they can rely on people like, like myself and like you guys in the TPA business to help, you know, really design a plan, as you said, to customize the needs of their population. And I think that's a great point. So thank you for bringing that up. So I know we talked about this a little bit already, but I want to come back to it in case there's more points that you guys want to make on this. Why is self-funding more cost-effective over a fully insured plan in general?
3: Well, in addition to what we, we just talked about, uh, with traditional insurance, premiums increase as insurance carriers need to cover costs like staffing and administration. By self-funding, businesses protect themselves from increased premiums and pay only what's actually necessary.
1: So let's talk about ERISA preemption again. I know you mentioned it in the beginning and talk about why that's important. What does this mean for an employer, particularly one that operates in more than one state?
2: Companies that operate in more than one state can really benefit from a self-funded plan because they're not subject to each individual state benefit mandate and regulations. And many of our clients are multi-state operations. In an ERISA plan, they're able to provide a benefit package to their employees um, that isn't dictated by each individual state, and it's one comprehensive, cohesive plan across the country. And that's one of the real benefits of these ERISA self-funded plans for for companies that have multi-state locations.
1: And and I would guess that that would also mean less administrative uh, time as well spent by the employer since it's only one plan instead of many different plans operating simultaneously in, in various states.
2: Absolutely, yes. Managing one plan versus, say, if you're in, in 12 different states and, and you have 12 different uh, benefit plans to manage or, or uh, uh, benefit schedules to manage, it's it's definitely much, much easier and more efficient uh, to just have one, uh, one cohesive plan for, for all your, your plan members.
1: Employers can choose to use a carrier or an ASO provider, as they're called, to administer their health plan if they're self-funded, or they can use an independent third-party administrator. Obviously, EBAM is an independent TPA. Why is the use of a TPA, in your opinion, a better decision for the plan sponsor?
2: There's a number of reasons we believe that the TPA model is, is, is the best model uh, for the plan sponsor. Uh, probably the biggest reason, in my opinion, is our ability to 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 separate out the different components of a self-funded plan and, and help the plan sponsor or employer select uh, the, the different components that best meets their needs. And those components are uh, the third-party administration, the pharmacy benefit manager, the stop loss carrier, and the provider, and the provider network. Um, so being able to split those out um, and, and find Best-in-class uh, vendor partners that meet the needs of, of each uh, employer uh, is a is a huge advantage. Uh, the other advantage, uh, one of the other advantages, it comes uh, in the in the area of stop-loss coverage. Um, third-party administrators are able to to unbundle the stop-loss um, from the plan and effectively. Uh, shop stop loss at renewal to find the best rate, the best uh, coverage for the employer. In the bundled approach, typically the, the stop loss is bundled in with the administration and the pharmacy and the network, um, and you don't have that flexibility at renewal uh, to look at stop loss options, um, which, which uh, having that option at renewal uh, on the stop loss side is a, is a huge, huge advantage.
1: Yeah, I think those are all good points. And I would add to that myself, because again, I used to run a third party administrator and because I've been specializing self-funded health plans my entire career, uh, is one of the things that I've come across is that sometimes there can be a conflict of interest when the uh, insurance carrier, the ASO provider is actually processing the claims, because do they pay a large claim or not? If it's their money that they're talking about, they may be more inclined to say, no, we're going to not pay that claim. So sometimes that has to be taken into consideration as well. And I think that as again, as a third party administrator, people would say, oh, it's just easier to go to an ASO provider. You know, it's just all one-stop shop. But you know what? When you're self-funding, because as you mentioned, you can do that picking and choosing of vendors, you know, you can continue your plan year after year after year uh, and just change out the components that aren't working well or that need improved upon. So I think those were great points. And I'm sure, Dan, you probably have lots to add to that as well. But I wanted to comment because again, with my experience as well, I wanted to, you know, support what uh, Brad was saying from another perspective as well
3: yeah i agree with all that but i think it's in the name third party we're 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 objective we are we are not biased towards the med- the benefit offerings that that we administer a carrier controlled aso program is only offering elements to the plan that are owned or controlled by the carrier there's little to no room for flexibility in how the plan components are offered or delivered including the actual cost of the delivery itself. It's a one-size-fits-all model that benefits the carrier and not the employer or the employee's.
1: Yes, and I couldn't agree with you more on that. Again, and I will admit, I admit this to everyone. Every time I, you know, speak in a, in a room, uh, doing a seminar, or you know, if I'm a speaker at a convention, uh, or if I'm writing an article or whatever, I always say, "Look, I am coming from a perspective that you know." Some people could say that I'm biased because I ran a third-party administrator for so long, but the reality is, it is the reality, and 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 that's what people need to understand. When you're a third-party administrator, that's right. you you are, as you said, a third party, and you work basically. For the health plan sponsor, you don't, you know, you're, you're not working for the insurance company, you work for them. And, and and I think that's an important piece that some people may not understand. And I think that's really an important thing to consider when you're deciding whether or not to use an ASO or a third party administrator. So, if you don't mind my my chipping in there on what you guys were talking about, oh, no, we, we agree with <laughs> it. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about containing costs because that's one of the reasons for this uh, recording of this podcast and and for you know our webinars coming up and so forth. Because as we said in the beginning, containing costs is what it's all about. People need to be able to provide good benefits, but to be able to do it affordably. Can you explain to some of our listeners some of the ways that self funding your health plan can help you to control your costs? You can touch on anything. We've already touched on some of it. You know, from plan design to stop loss transfer risk, you know, Rx, cost containment, you know, utilization review programs, anything. Can you tell us, you know, what are some of the ways that you can control costs within a self-funded plan?
2: Well, yeah, Dorothy, you, you kind of touched on on some of the, the big the big components there, the plan design and the stop loss. Um, those are very important. The uh, You know, a uh, lot of options in, in terms of Rx, uh, prescription management with the different uh, pharmacy benefit managers. Um, You know, the network provider network is very important. The the discounts that they negotiate with the hospitals and physicians, um, you know, that's that's definitely um, a a big piece of cost containment um, is discount claim dollars and then wellness. In recent years, wellness has become very popular. Remember, in self-funding, the employer, the self-funded employer uh, benefits directly from the savings, whereas in the fully insured side. The carrier really is the one that benefits from the savings um, in terms of uh, you know a, a lower uh, loss ratio but uh, but uh, again wellness is is an area that's gotten a lot of attention lately um, so so employers are doing creative things to to keep their employee population healthy um, and to uh, to encourage healthy lifestyles.
3: I think that is also supported by our model, which eliminates premium and price secrecy that, that the carriers typically support with fully insured carrier models. You don't know the true cost of the various components that make up your benefit plan with third-party administrators in a self-funded environment. You have literally this a la carte menu that you can choose from to create your total benefit plan. Now, if that means front loading it with wellness benefits and Biometric services designed to ascertain the health of your uh, employee population before you apply those benefits so that you can ensure you're applying the right benefits based on the health of your company. You're able to do that. The ability to offer those programs is is rooted in in great data that third party administrators provide the ability to to provide data analytics back to an employer and their consultant um, really reinforces uh, our ability to ensure that what we're offering employers, employees, and their family members is rooted in in sound underwriting practices and, and sound pricing.
1: Thank you very much, both of you. Let's talk about plan setup choices for employers. Can they use their own bank? That's one of the first questions I get asked all the time by employers.
2: Absolutely, they can. And and we encourage uh, our our clients to to use their own bank. Uh, In a self-funded environment, uh, the employer holds on to their claims dollars. Um, The third-party administrator processes the claims and then uh, has typically has access uh, check writing authority on a a zero balance account um, that they draw the claims funds uh, from um, so that the employer has total control over uh, their claim dollars and they hold those dollars, which is a huge advantage uh, in self-funding. And then some of the areas, other areas of plan setup, when we have a new client, obviously the plan design is very important. As we've talked about, uh, there is a lot of flexibility in, in plan design and structuring the plan. So we spend a lot of time with our with our clients up front uh, designing that plan. Um, billing setup, um, the way that, uh, that the monthly bill um, is generated and how that looks um, is definitely part of the plan setup. There's a lot of flexibility in the billing setup. Clients can set their group up by location, uh, by class of employees. Uh, so there's a lot of lot of areas, a lot of flexibility in in uh, the billing setup.
1: Okay, thanks, Brad. Very well said. Uh, can they choose their own vendors? I know we talked about this a little bit, but give us some examples of some of the vendors that they can choose and the types of vendors
2: yes they, they they can absolutely choose their own vendors in a um, in a third party administrator setting um, uh, stop loss um, as we've mentioned um, there's there's a, there's many different stop loss carriers and stop loss carrier options out there um, that the uh, that the employer can choose from um, obviously administration there's many uh, third-party administrators out there um, large tpas um, smaller tpas with, with different strengths and weaknesses um, pharmacy benefit managers, many different options there. Um, the PPO network, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the importance of the PPO network in terms of the discounts that they negotiate. Uh, coverage is obviously also very important there. Um, but uh, a, a lot of flexibility um, in, in vendors. And again, one of the real strengths of, of working uh, with a third-party administrator.
3: And, and an advantage working with that third-party administrator. Again, going back to the fully insured market, the carrier's offering is a one-size-fits-all offering. And that's really important today because there's more benefits being offered across the board, whether it's fully insured or self-insured. However, if you buy a carrier's plan based on premium instead of product, you may be stuck with some partnered services that you don't necessarily like, maybe telemedicine, maybe that that network that you're using. Uh, you may have had an experience with it in the past that didn't sit well with, with you as the employer or, or with the employee. That third-party administrator like Eben has the ability to offer what we believe to be best-in-class services. So in conjunction with an employer's consultant, we're going to work with that employer and consult on all areas that make up their benefit plan, whether it be a PPO network, uh, a strong pharmacy benefit component, telemedicine, uh, the stop loss uh, partnerships that take place. We've spent decades perfecting this best in class model. And, and we think what we bring to this market on behalf of our employers and employees and family members is the best that the marketplace has to offer. and And our results, on behalf of employers and employees proves that model for us.
1: Thank you, Dan. Uh, Obviously the way to control health plan costs is to find a way to control the actual healthcare spend. If you can't control the charges of the provider, then you really truly can't control the health plan costs. We can do a lot of this in self-funding by offering options like the PPO, as you guys have already talked about, or an EPO, which is an exclusive provider organization using that PPO network. Or something called reference-based pricing. Let's talk about PPOs first. Is there a difference in general in costs depending on the PPO network that you choose? You know, if you decide you want to use a PPO or an EPO, is it a wide variance by network? Can you kind of explain the differences there?
2: You bet, Dorothy. Um, in looking at uh, the different PPO network options, the, one of the first things that you're going to want to look at is is the fee that's charged. Um, the, the PPO networks charge a typically charge a per employee per month fee. Um, and that's just a fixed fee um, that's that's billed monthly. Um, so that varies by network. Um, and also uh, the other component of the PPO networks typically is the utilization review and large claim management. Uh, most of the national networks that uh, that are leasing their their network access to third party administrators require that uh, the bundling of the of the utilization review and large claim management so that's typically included in the uh, in the per employee per month fee Uh, the second component of the of the ppo network is the discounts Um, and that uh, that also varies just like their per employee per month fee varies the discounts that they negotiate with with the provider market uh, that varies as well it's typically based on volume um, is how they negotiate those, those discounts. But uh, but again, the, the discounts um, are very, very important in a self-funded plan and uh, definitely need to be looked at closely.
3: Those PPO arrangements will also vary by type of network an employer wants access to, whether it's a, a full PPO network that includes all medical professionals, hospitals, outpatient facilities, urgent care, emergency room, et cetera. Um, those vary uh, across the country. You you have parts of the country that have extensive PPO networks that essentially offer all providers in, in a geographic area and some in more rural areas that uh, have very, very thin networks available to employers. Added to that is, is an offshoot of a PPO, which is an EPO network or exclusive provider organization, which is essentially a subset of a PPO Uh, A much smaller network in terms of access to providers, but with deeper discounts provided by the providers. So those two offerings have been traditionally offered to self-funded employers, but but now we're seeing hybrids of both those as well. As you alluded to, reference-based pricing is one of the newest forms of of provider offerings that uh, EBAM is now administering.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up as I mentioned it before as well. I think it's one of those important things that we need to talk about today. Some self-funded employers have moved to what you call reference-based pricing, as we talked about, which uses a percentage over a known or referenced rate, uh, predominantly Medicare rates. Why is this method of health plan financing so cost-effective?
2: Dorothy, the reason it's so cost-effective or can be so cost-effective is because the employer plan sponsor sets the sets what that percentage over Medicare is. So, um, again, the, the, the plan dictates what's going to be paid to the provider. Um, and they can, that can range from, uh, anywhere from 130% of Medicare up to 200% of Medicare is what we see, uh, in some cases. So, so again, it's, it's just, it's, it depends on, on, on what the uh, plan sponsor wants to set that, that percentage at, but, um, but anything uh, in that range um, as a percent of Medicare is typically typically going to be very competitive cost-wise. Yeah.
1: yeah, and based on experience, which I know you guys have a lot of, uh, and uh, I do as well, um, when you're comparing Medicare rates to what the PPO network rates are from what I've seen, and you guys can agree with this or disagree – is that you know when you're talking about a ppo network even the best ppo networks they're not anywhere near 130 to 200 percent of medicare in their rates that they pay those providers uh, especially on the hospital side perhaps on the doctor side they're pretty close um but on the facility side when you're talking about hospitals you know i've seen hospital and you guys can i'm sure speak to this a lot more than i can but i've seen you know when we compare it to what we we're, we're now paying let's say in a reference-based pricing plan where, you know, you're paying 200% or 175% or 160% of Medicare on a facility in a reference-based pricing plan, that same hospital providing the exact same service, you know, under a PPO plan might be paying, you know, not 130 or 150% or 200%, 300%, 600%, 900%, 1200% in some cases in the smaller regional networks and so forth. Uh, Has that been your experience as well? It has,
3: and you know, to, to further add to the confusion of this, those contracts will vary by the carrier that is being used by the PPO provider. So, sure, you might have knee replacement surgery for commercial employee members that costs nine hundred percent of Medicare. Being able to 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 pay those claims based off of a fee schedule like Medicare. Um, allows the plan sponsor, which in what we're talking about is the employer, to save money on the total cost of their healthcare spend. At the end of the day, the plan sponsor is having to pay these claims. They're, we're finding with our clients in our marketplace, they're more adapted to paying claims that are they're being repriced and adjudicated at, based on a small percentage of Medicare, much more than they are willing to accept uh, service, uh, fees for the same services at six to nine hundred percent of Medicare. This is also compounded now by, by the fact that hospitals now have to start uh, publicizing their charges.
1: Well, at least they're supposed to be. At least they're supposed to be under the transparency and coverage rule. They're not like all I doing said, that. <laughs> like I said, starting. Right. Um, they're not doing it
3: now. They're making it very difficult to capture that data and report it back to, uh, to the employers that we administer for. But it's just a matter of time be, before those, they're called hospital charge masters, before they're they're provided in such a way that you can do a cost by cost comparison of one hospital to another based on all the contracts that they hold and pay against.
1: right. I think that's going to be very important in the future when they do actually start participating in what they were supposed to be doing already. And I always tell them I always tell employees in employee meetings and so forth that you know what? not a bad thing to do is when you go into that hospital and you're talking to your surgeons and so forth before you get you know scheduled for hospitalization I would I always tell them you might want to look on their website and see if they're actually complying with the law and if they actually have those shoppable services that they're supposed to have posted actually posted under the transparency and coverage rule because if they don't there's probably a reason for that they probably don't want to post it until they're forced to because they know their charges are so much higher than maybe their neighboring hospital performing the same service and so forth. And they don't want to disclose it because that's always been very hush-hush in the past. And I think the transparency in healthcare, especially in a self-funded plan, because it's your dollars if you're the employer, that's so important. And I'm glad you brought that up because, as you guys know... That's my thing. I, the transparency and coverage rule and the No Surprises Act are two very important laws that I've been talking about for years now and been in very much in support of uh, transparency for many, many years because of the experience that myself and you guys have had in, 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 you know, in self-funded plans because those, that's the dollars of the employer. That's not just insurance company money. That's your money. And that makes a big difference. That's right.
3: I, I, I think you, you spoke to this uh, in, at an in- industry event this week regarding this. Experienced, um, savvy consultants like yourself understand this issue and understand how to to, uh, educate their employer clients on this. That's one of the challenges that we face in the market, too, is is educating the consultant and broker marketplace on how this works and what the benefit is, again, to plan sponsor employer, employees and their families.
1: Yes, and I did speak this past week to a health underwriters organization. So thank you for for being there. I saw you there, of course. Um, but yeah, I speak on these topics a lot, as you guys know. And I've done my own webinars with our clients and with the public as well on this for a number of a number of years now, and uh, written many articles and so forth that were published. So again, this is very important to me, and uh, very important to any employer that's considering or that is currently self-funded because these things are important. Uh, so let's move on a little bit. Um, the use of RBP may be more cost-effective, but it's also more time consuming, particularly at the beginning for the first year or so for those employers, the HR departments, the finance departments, and so forth, those departments that are actually directly involved with uh, healthcare spend and so forth. Is it or can it be worth the extra time that you might have to put into an RBP plan? What are your thoughts on that?
2: Oh, I, I absolutely believe it It can be, uh, especially given the cost savings, um, that uh, the potential for cost savings that, that's there with the RBP plans. But, but it. it we've had we've had quite a bit of experience with RBP plans over the last five or six years and and uh we've learned that that uh, that that spending time up front communicating and educating uh, the plan participants is absolutely critical to, to the to the success of an RBP plan um, these you know plan participants this is a, a typically a pretty foreign concept. To them, uh, it can be pretty foreign concept to uh, the CFO and the HR managers at, at employers as well. So you can just imagine,
3: Dorothy. It can make the difference between a good experience and a bad experience. What we found is is that is that if we take the time, along with with the employer and the employer's consultant, to front load a benefit plan with education and training on reference based pricing, it will it will stave off. Uh, the bulk of the issues that occur throughout the plan year. And you know, with a reference-based pricing plan, you've it's got to be set up in such a way that employer, employees, family members all understand what their roles and responsibilities are in uh, how that health plan is used. At the end of the day, an employer is saving anywhere from 20 to 30% more on a reference-based pricing plan than they are with a traditional PPO plan. Those savings are significant to an employer and their employees and family members. So it's crucial that we probably spend twice as much time on a reference-based pricing plan front-loading the enrollment process with education than we would on a traditional self-funding plan. It's that important for us to make sure that they understand what they're what they've purchased and how it's to be used.
1: Yeah, and I agree wholeheartedly. As you guys know, and to that point, Dan, uh, you mentioned um, with the education, and both of you guys talked about the education upfront and so forth. Um, the good news is on that that in the next podcast, which will be episode eighteen, our last one in the regular season of the Benefits Executive Roundtable, I'm actually going to be interviewing two of our clients that are actually using reference-based pricing because I thought it would be especially as a follow-up to this. Uh, this podcast, I thought it would be nice for employers to hear from their peers, to hear from other employers sure. about the actual uh, experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, fortunately, Most of the time, it's a lot of good, um, a little bit of bad, and not very much ugly, but could be if they're not educated properly. So you know, I want you guys to be able to hear it. I want the audience to be able to hear it from employers. So that's a good thing we're going to be sharing with you on the next episode, which will be the final regular episode of this season. So yeah, it's really, really super important. Um, And it really is important that everyone takes that extra time, energy, and effort, because if you don't, it's going to fail, or it's going to, if not fail, because financially, it might be fine. It might be great but it may just be a horrible experience if you don't do it right. This is one of the things that in self-funding that you don't want to just dabble in it. You have to give if you're going to go the route of reference based pricing, speaking from experience, as we all know, uh, on the, at least the three of us in this room today, um, you have to have that upfront education if you want it to be successful or it, it, it's not going to be pleasant for the employees. It's not going to be pleasant for the uh, the employers and the employees. And, and uh, you're right. And you said it was, you know, take twice as much time. I have to tell you, I'm right in there with you because, you know, my business partner, Anthony, works with our self-funded clients that are doing reference based pricing and he spends about 50% of his time believe it or not, uh, working on the reference-based pricing components with those clients, just helping them walk through everything, working with their representatives at EBAM and with the RBP vendors and so forth. So it is it is more time-consuming, but is cost-effective. So hopefully you guys will tune in next week for that episode because I think that'll give you a much better understanding and, and you'll be able to hear it from people like yourselves, uh, the people in the actual employer's seat. So hopefully uh, that'll be helpful for you. So how... How important is the choice of a vendor? If you want an RDP vendor, how important is that and why?
2: The the vendor selection is critical. And and like the other components of the self-funded plan, like we spoke about earlier, um, you know, the pharmacy benefit, the stop loss, you know, the different options that you have in a self-funded environment when it comes to uh, vendor selection um, on a reference-based pricing plan, vendor selection um, is also an option um, and the role of the vendor in an uh, RBP plan, um, they're the ones that are, are repri- basically repricing the claim at the percent of Medicare that the plan chooses. Uh, they're also the ones uh, helping with any uh, pushback from the provider community on, on the payment. Um, and uh, we've learned over, over the years that um, uh, the level of involvement by the vendor really varies um, so, uh, and, and that's really the most critical piece of it um, of an RBP plan is how that vendor uh, manages that pushback, um, how they how they handle the interaction with the plan with the plan member uh, when they may get a balance bill from a from a provider. Um, so, again, the the vendor selection uh, is critical, and there, there's a number of real quality vendors in this RBP space, um, and it's just it's just a matter of, of of conducting, um, you know, interviews and doing due diligence to find the, the, the vendor that, uh, that, that's the best best fit for the plan.
1: And of course, it's also important if you're dealing with uh, people that are specializing this, that they have some experience and know the differences between these vendors, because as you said, they can be very, very different. And I'm sure, Dan, that you probably have some, some uh, things that you'd like to share with this as well.
3: I was just going to say it's the, that, that right, vendor or partner selection is the difference between a good, first ex, a good first year experience and a bad first year experience. Six years or so ago, when we got into this, we had a couple of vendors that we worked with in this space. And, and that relationship was very transactional. We, we approached it very similar to how we work with PPO vendors. What we found out the hard way was that you need much more than a vendor in this space. You, you need a partner. And what I mean by that is as a TPA, we have to have an intimate understanding of how our partner vendors in this space work. Um, our teams that administer claims have to have an intimate understanding of their teams, how their teams process customer service inquiries, Our teams at EBAM need to have an intimate understanding of how our partner vendors teams work. It's a collaboration. Without the collaboration, it's not successful. It results in a bad first year experience. While there may have been some money saved above and beyond a traditional PPO network, the noise coming from the employees and their family members is so loud that an employer may have to walk away from those deeper savings. The reality is, is that a good reference-based pricing program offered through a strong TPA like EBAM and our current partners will spend all that time up front educating employers uh, and employees and their family members. I'm talking human resource departments, uh, accounting departments, um, customer service departments. Everybody's on the same page. Um, with how the program work, works and what the results are expected from it. Um, without that, you're going to have a bad experience. I can guarantee it.
1: Yeah, and I totally agree with you. As, as you know, we've uh, done a lot of these together and, and uh, it's, it's a great experience um, if you do it right. <laughs> and you have all that education, uh, savings-wise, it can be fabulous, but again, you have to put the time in up front, and you have to put the education in, so anyway, we're about out of time today, so thank you so much for joining me today and t- talking about this important, you know, topic of healthcare and health plan financing and cost containment. If anyone out there that's listening has questions or would like to reach out to EBAM, how would they do that?
3: Well, thanks, Dorothy. Contact us at EBAM.com or 1-800-249-8440.
1: Well, thank you for that. And to provide more information on this topic, EBAM is going to be joining me for our upcoming webinars in May and June on healthcare and health plan financing and cost containment. Part one is going to be on May 4th, where we will provide an overview of plan funding and cost containment. And on June 8th, where we're going to dig into the details of designing a self funded plan, putting in the proper types of cost containment, as well as have a panel of employers that are currently using reference based pricing, as I mentioned earlier. That will also include stop-loss carriers, and RBP vendor, and also we're gonna have a pharmacy benefit manager, consultant, and vendor talk about how to save money in prescription drug costs because that's a huge expense within a health benefits plan. So for more information about these two informative webinars, please visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com. We have basic information available now on that, but we're gonna be posting more detailed information in the coming weeks. So thank you both for you know participating in those two webinars. I'm thanking you in advance uh, for helping us uh, with that coming up in May and June.
2: You bet, Dorothy. And thank you so much for for including us in this outstanding podcast series that you're doing here. We always uh, really, uh, really enjoy talking self-funding with you. So thank you very much.
3: Thanks, Dorothy.
1: Thanks, you guys. And for everyone out there listening, please stay safe, stay healthy, and join us for the next episode, which is part three of this series, coming up next week, which will be a special podcast, as we mentioned, featuring two self-funded employers who are using reference-based pricing. Hear it directly from the employers, the positives and the negatives of using RBP Financing. And part one, in case you missed it, was on health plan financing and cost containment for fully insured plans, strategies for how to offer great health benefits and maintain your budget. That is available currently on the Benefits Executive Roundtable podcast. And again, if anybody out there wants more information about this topic, be sure to visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com, where we offer again that two-part webinar series coming up in May and June. And thanks again to my guests today, Brad and Dan. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for compliance tips, cost containment ideas, new trends, and decision-making tools. This podcast is produced by Advanced Benefit Consulting, Anaheim, California. All views expressed are those of the host or interviewees and not necessarily those of Advanced Benefit Consulting. Information contained herein should not be construed as legal advice. We always recommend that you consult with your legal counsel as situations do vary. Miss Koshu can be reached at 714-693-9754, extension 3, toll free at 866-658-3835, or visit our website at advancedbenefitconsulting.com.